politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, our liberty, and our property, girding your loins for a time of inflection. And folks, Daniel Horowitz back here today. Really appreciate you guys bearing with me as I get through this voice cold. I'm not sick at all. It's weird. All the vitamins and supplements I'm taking, it works. I never get sick from a cold anymore, but it somehow just stays in the voice box. But as long as I have voice in me, I'll be speaking the truth. And that's why I thank you so much for tuning in every day. Again, send me a note at danielherwitz at startmail.com. You could also drop a five-star rating, if you so choose, at iTunes. It will help us get the word out. This really is a ch- time for choosing. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm very energized. I'm excited. I really do think, we, we often think we know what's best for us, and we hope for one outcome, but it turns out horrible, and then something else happens, and it's even better. I didn't want to say this before the election, because it's just no one wants to hear it, but the traditional Republicans win big never works out for us. I, I really do think this is the best possible outcome. We're seeing it. There is a growing effort to oust Kevin McCarthy as leader of the party. I didn't even focus on him. I just focused on McConnell because I figured they were going to win big and there would be no support to get rid of him. But it's the best of all. Republicans did win the House, so if you're worried about a check, potentially, on Biden's behavior, potentially, they have that there. They might still even win the Senate, whatever good that is. And Republicans still have the dominance in the red states. So there's so much to focus on. There's leadership elections. There's the priority of how we should run the House, but first you need a good leader. And then there's all the state legislative sessions. There's a lot to work on. We're going to be working on our state liberty strike force teams. So we're going to do an autopsy on this election different from everyone else. Because I don't consider myself a Republican. I'm an independent that understands a reality that we have two parties and will use the Republican Party for our purposes. So I really think if we play our cards right and we stay focused for once, we could finally engage in this internal introspection of how to make red states red, how to make Republicans Republicans or, or find something else, and finally use the influence of the top 30 talk show hosts to focus on the people who will feel the pressure, leadership elections, agenda items, not just elections. I don't want to hear this, this uh, you know, presidential talk. And I, I thank Glenn Beck for having me on for a full half an hour today. And he's all on board. I pitched Chip Roy as speaker. We'll talk about that. Uh, other things as well with Steve Dace coming up soon. First, folks... I'm going to turn you guys into liberals when I get you signed up at BattleBox for your monthly adult toy boxes. And what I mean by adult toys is that BattleBox will show outdoor enthusiasts that there is so much you never knew you wanted and needed. Look, from outdoor stoves to their flashlights, emergency water kits, atomic beer, survival bivvies, Every month, they could be delivered right to your doorstep. Those of you who are into survival gear, outdoor gear, I'm into both. I used to think survivalists were crazy, but you know what? They were ahead of their time. 
It's a it's a monthly subscription for handpicked outdoor survival and everyday gear. Um, high quality name brands every month at just half the price of what they'd cost if you bought each one separately on your own. Um, folks, this is going to get bad, like COVID level bad for other products and services that we need. And it's going to happen. One thing is clear. The Democrats are emboldened. So find out why outdoor enthusiasts call BattleBox the best gear I never knew I wanted by going to try battlebox.com slash conservative. And when you do so, with that URL, you got to go to that URL, you get a free mystery box worth $115 with any new subscription. These are the best adult toys you'll ever find. That's a free mystery box worth $115 plus right now at trybattlebox.com slash conservative. That's trybattlebox.com slash conservative. So, folks, everyone's going to be talking about the wrong things. I'm seeing this fight back and forth over the establishment media's trying to ironically push DeSantis for president, not because they want him, they'll get rid of him, but they want to get rid of Trump. And then the Trump people are like, no, it's the, the establishment's doing this, so Trump's amazing. And really, they're all wrong. The, the, the autopsy is Trump didn't cause the loss. The, the loss is the Republican Party sucks. It's just that Trump is not, in my mind, the solution headed forward. I think, you know, the cost-benefit analysis in 2016 versus where we are today, both electorally and policy-wise, is a very different spread. And I just think if he's going to announce for president and whatever and, 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 you know, send these petty notes that, Try to dump on DeSantis's win unsolicited when he's not even attacking him. What what are you doing? It just reflects the fact that he's just going to be a distraction at best and a saboteur at worst. But that's not the same with saying, oh, it's the establishment. It, it, it's Trump that caused the loss. No, it's the entire Republican loser party that unfortunately Trump has become a part of. Um, but the introspection we need to focus on now is leadership elections. Leadership elections. It is very, very important. Why is it so important? You see, part of the problem we have, I've said this before, as much as Republicans are supposedly outgunned, outmanned by the media and the cultural institutions and everything, the Republican Party is a big platform as a party. It's respected. There's two parties in America, and everyone knows there's two sides to a story. The problem is when you have the leadership of one party saying the same thing as the others, it marginalizes our voices. So even if you have a guy in the wilderness saying, hey, you know, there's a problem with the vaccines. What the heck are we doing with Ukraine? We need to go after the transhumanism, the biomedical surveillance state, all this stuff. They get marginalized. We need someone in leadership. To speak for us. Now you might say, well, how in the world are we going to do that? So had they won 250 seats, there would, would have been no way to do that. A, the conservative firebrands would lose their leverage because they can get to 218 without them. And B, it's just messaging-wise. I mean, no one wants to be a part of that because, well, you know, why cause a civil war when we did so well? But the reality is people are in the doldrums. Honestly, even even worse than it warrants. Like I told you, fundamentally, 
they're going to win the House. It doesn't matter how many seats you have. You control it fully with a simple majority. And the Senate, either way, you don't control without 60. And they might even win that minimal majority. And, you know, the it, 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 I think it's disappointing. I think we're all disappointed in the sense that it's scary to think how large the blue firewall is and how bad things have to get in order for half of America to wake up, and they still probably won't. That is a very disquieting thought. But it's also comforting that it rules out other strategies, that you're not going to win traditional with traditional methods. Oh, let's work on the presidential campaign. Let's fix the federal government. Let's try to have blue state Republican. It's not going to work. The focus should be red state America, mainly in the states. But I do still recognize that a Republican majority in the House, if nothing else, has a robust voice. It could use leverage in the budget, must pass legislation, reauthorization bills, hearings, messaging, you know, especially if it's in leadership, and you could help build momentum in the states. And by the way, there is a lot of good news, a lot of good people. I was speaking with my buddy Chuck Gray today. Um, he was the leader of the conservatives in the Wyoming legislature, and he just became Secretary of State, much to the chagrin of the rhinos there. And he's working on it, and, and they, they, they might think that they're very close to being able to get a conservative speaker there. Yeah, you might think, okay, you have like a, what, a 51 to 7 majority there or something. But believe it or not, half the Republicans are, are losers. And more than half, really. But it, it is changing. But these are the things you need to focus on. The federal uh, leadership races, but also like if you're in Wyoming now, if you're in Idaho, these type of states... Look at your leadership elections. Focus on that, the committee chairmanships, and gird your loins for that legislative session. What is the agenda we want? What are the top 10 things you want to do? That's what we need to work on. I don't want to hear about the presidential election. I don't want to hear about petty politics. I want to hear even lamenting so much about the Democrats still wielding too much power, even though they should have zero power. It is what it is, but what are we going to do with it? So it's through that prism that I want to go through an autopsy of what went wrong, and I want to get Steve Dace's analysis of what did and didn't happen. And, you know, he's always a smart political thinker, even though not a very good prognosticator, as you guys have seen. But you know what? I mean, look, who would have, th who would have thought it? Who would have thunk it? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't make any sense. We've never seen an outcome based on the pre-election polls, both on issue-based polls, election polls, generic ballot polls. Something doesn't add up. You know, there's a couple things where we're starting to understand, but still, we'll, we'll discuss all this and more with Steve. So today, I figured we'll do double duty, kill two birds with one stone. My voice needs a break and you need your fix of Steve Dace because he's on vacation the rest of the week. So I want you to hear his usual trenchant analysis on what went wrong, what we know, what we don't know, and what to do from here. Hey, Steve, always great to flip the script on you. Thanks for joining us today at CR Podcast. You bet, brother. Always appreciate being with you. Thank you. All right. So I've been uh, the prophet of hope this week. I'm curious to see where you are. The biggest thing that stands out to me 
is that in terms of the generic ballot, as of now, the country voted for the the Republicans for the House candidate by a margin of 6.1. It will likely shrink a little bit more in California, but that's not the point because where we are right now with that 6.1 edge is only netting a narrow majority, whereas in 2014, which was the really the high watermark of GOP control in the modern era, 247 seats, that was 5.7. What gives? Do you think we have an answer to that? Well, let me start with, with, with just a big picture thought first. I feel like even though this feels the same uh, to a lot of people from 2020, for me, it's I kind of feel the exact opposite. Uh, when, when I was helping uh, with the Blaze TV coverage on election night 2020, everything started off way stronger than I thought it was going to. And so, you know, momentum and uh, energy kicks in, uh, adrenaline kicks in. And then as we hit 10, 11, 12 o'clock, you're like, oh, oh, okay. And then, of course, the rest, as they say, is infamy. In this election, we signed off uh, at, uh, at 10 o'clock, uh, 10 o'clock local time. So it was 11 o'clock Eastern. And at the time that we signed off, this looked like it was going to be a hugely underperforming effort. But, but I think we all have to now recognize, and I say that starting with myself, we now have election festivals, all right? Festivals of booths, festivals of shelters. We just get together, you know, we bring all the tribes together and we have an election. It lasts a week, Daniel. That's what we do now. OK, so um, as this goes on, actually, this is the opposite of 2020. The more it goes on, the more that it actually looks like it has gone well overall. And so then we have to ask ourselves, then, where are, why are we not seeing more aggressive manifestations? And I will admit that the thought Carrie Lake might lose, which looked pretty um, bleak at 11 o'clock Eastern on Tuesday, pretty much crushed me because I think she might be the best candidate I've ever seen. All right. Now I think she's going to win and probably win by a few points and similar to what we saw in the primary. So that's that that's that has uh, brightened my mood considerably. But that brings us to your question. And there are there's there's three answers here, and they probably are all correct. And what we're never going to really know, though, is the ratio of correctness. Uh, number one, gerrymandering and redistricting. Um, uh, I think we would have had another one, right? Post 2020, since 2014, we would have had another round of that. Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But but could I could I um, chime in? How do you see that the gerrymandering on net is that much worse than last decade, number one? And the second question is, how does that answer, and this might be your other Well, you didn't let me get to my other two options. Okay. You didn't get to my other two options. So, but that's a traditional answer to a question like yours, all right? That's a, that's a systemic situation that happens with both parties trying to galvanize um, the map into their advantages after every census. Um, it, I think that is a factor here. I do not believe it is one of the dominant factors, but I also don't think it's like 2% either. Maybe, you know, if I had to guess 10 or 20, I think the other 80, 90% are these other two factors. Number two, the level, and I've, you've heard me say this for years, we are beyond polarization. We are, we are at balkanization now. There are just places, you know, uh, our old colleague, Chris Pandolfo, who just went to work over at Fox, just sent me one of their latest exit polls, and it found that Joe, the Democrats got a majority of voters who were somewhat too mildly displeased with Joe Biden. 
Translation. It's got to have to get a lot worse yes. for me to vote anything but my color. This is Bloods and Crips stuff now, okay? And if and, and I said this on the News and Why It Matters yesterday. Yes, we're all mocking Pennsylvania for, for putting a vaccine, uh, a VAERS incident report as senator. But the truth of the matter is, I will admit, and I admitted this, I said, five years ago, I would have read everything possible about Herschel Walker's uh, proclivities uh, in vetting someone. We're in a full civil war right now. Plus, I'm post Roy Moore and Brett, Brett Kavanaugh. I haven't read a word of it. I don't know any of the claims. I just I know there's claims. I've not looked at anything specific or anything of that nature. Because right now, man, it's bloods and crips. I'm just trying to put as many soldiers up against you yep. uh, to shoot out to shoot at in my, you know, instead of me. And and so if the situation was on the other foot, I absolutely believe that a lot of people that are listening to you and me right now would go vote for John Fetterman with an R after his name in the current <laughs> cultural situation we're in. And so that plays into this because what you may what may be, you know, what may be fusing some of these the, this surge in the popular vote is the margins ran up in Florida, for example. The margins that if, you're, if you were red in Alabama, you're redder. If you were red in Iowa, you're redder. You know, mm. I mean, our, 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 <laughs> we've never had total Republican control of this state uh, in, in this yep. since, uh, since post-Great uh, Depression. And you and kicked I mean, out that attorney general, the Democrat right. that's been there three decades. We couldn't get rid of him in Tea Party wave elections. We couldn't get rid of Tom Miller. And we got rid of him this year. And we got rid of him, by the way, with the same AG candidate that we ran at him in 2014. OK, so mm. uh, it wasn't like it was even a fresh face that, you know, people didn't know. They already rejected Brenna Byrd when before she was married uh, in, you know, in the 2014 election. And so I think that you're seeing that w if you're blue, you're blue no matter what. I mean, it, it, it's 1400. It, it, inflation, Daniel, has gone up 485 percent since Trump's last month in office. And it's going to need to go up 3,485% for you to not vote blue, apparently. And if you're red, better red than dead. That's, that <laughs> I think we have to factor into this. Yep. And then we get to the question of election fortification. All right. Mm. Um, and, and how is it possible, for example, what is going on right now in Maricopa County? They just let us know, we'll get you the next batch of ballots, which just so happens to be the ones the most favorable to Kerry Lake. Eh, sometime between 5 and 7 p.m. tonight, Arizona time, when we get around to it. This is one of the largest, wealthiest counties in the United States of America. All right. So I think that that there is some some we can't just completely ignore gerrymandering because, Daniel, that would also play into the balkanization, too. Right. I mean, if you're if you're creating districts that are the most favorable to you and people are bluer than they have ever been before and redder than they've ever been before, the margins you'll run up in those places you've most gerrymandered will be bigger than ever before. So that is a factor. The balkanization is a clearly a factor. Um, and then you have to add for, we saw this in 2016. If you took California off the table, Donald Trump won the popular vote in the 2016 presidential election. So um, I think that that is a factor. And then the fortification, like what you're seeing in Arizona right now, that is a factor as well. And I think the fortification really is very important that they they created this fortification process in the states that they controlled. So all these states that typically, you know, in 06 went to the Dems, 2010, 2014 swung back, 2018, we lost a lot of those. When the Dems had their foothold, they fortified it. And then that was the smart thing they did. Because I think what you're saying is what answers the statewide problems we're seeing. See, the, the gerrymandering wouldn't answer why all of the states that we always and fairly easily carried 
in a midterm unpopular Democrat presidency. Mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, we usually would pip, pick up Minnesota as well. That Rust Belt, we would sweep through it every single time um, we got it. And those were lost. Those were all lost. And that's where I think the statewide fortification plays a role. Um, I do. There, I, there is another yeah. factor in this election we have to consider. And, and that is when you see a statistic like Republicans won married women before we even stratify for race and socioeconomic status. Republicans won married women by 15 points. Republicans lost unmarried women by 38 points. And I think we have to consider that this is also part of the factor here. We essentially traded what could have been, we got a B minus election. Maybe it could even turn out to be a B once all the votes are counted here. And I think, for example, I think Blake Masters may end winning in Arizona, for example. So it could end up being a B when it should have been an A, given all the metrics that you're talking about in the environment. All right. But we got we we lost we lost at least a letter grade in exchange for Roe v. Wade. And I would make that trade any day of the week. All right. So I think you have to consider that in, in a way. You know, just like they get all their votes in early and absentees and then here come the drop boxes. We kind of got our bounty for this environment. We got a down payment on it in June with the Dobbs decision. In, in other words, That's- let me frame what you just said for our audience as a contrast. In in 2010, Democrats, they got their Obamacare mm-hmm. and they were willing to take the slaughter and they got right. slaughtered in a way that created a permanent realignment that we're still benefiting from today. So it gave us a red firewall. It wasn't always like that. I mean, Democrats were competitive everywhere because the Republican Party was just a bunch of losers. Ohio's not a swing state anymore, for example. Obamacare and Donald Trump are the reason why. Ohio's not a swing state anymore. Iowa, Florida. But even even a lot of the red states we don't even think about, they weren't red all the way down the ballot. Um, Democrats dominated for most of, of... three quarters of a century, like even a state that would always vote for Reagan and Nixon, but the Dems always had the governor and the legislature and everything. Like a Kentucky, for example. But yeah. Bingo, West Virginia, all that stuff. So they they lost that. Whereas we we have our firewall. It's like states that we struggle with anyway. So now they might go permanently into that blue firewall. I, I do think it does bother our our voters like i said i'm happy with the outcome i'm very happy with the outcome but i understand people find it very disquieting that look what you what you just said about the tribalism that hey if you're in massachusetts you'll have a guy that shoots someone in broad daylight and he'll still win the nomination that doesn't bother me and you're saying look the other way around and i think we'd agree especially if it's senate not governor so you don't even have to govern so mm-hmm. even if you have a dementia patient or someone who's injured by a stroke Hey, what the heck? I just want a body. It will be his wife, someone else. They'll tell him how to vote. They'll put someone else in. I don't want the communist. We we would do the same thing at this point. But it's it disturbs people that that's Pennsylvania. It's not super blue, but man, I mean, it's well, even is, like that in Pennsylvania. I'm, this, this is a, I'm glad you brought this up because I, you know, when you were when you're when you're, when you're <laughs> in 2020, I probably talked too much when it was just me and Glenn for about five hours. This year, you know, there were six of us on that panel. And so you don't you don't always have a lot of time to go into depth and clarify why you feel the way that you do from a political game theory standpoint. 
let's let's let the audience in on a on a on a on you know behind the curtain a little bit. We won't mention names. You and I are in a private text chain and have been for several years with very good friends of ours who serve at the upper echelons of the process. We'll just leave it at that. Is that fair? I think that's fair. Yep. Okay. And, and so, and, and, you know, we're all very good friends and we're very honest, brutally honest at times. And that's why sometimes, uh, in this chain, people go a few days or weeks without appearing in it. Right? <laughs> okay. And, uh, because it I'm can get a little broad. Yes. And, uh, but one of the things that we have talked about is the game theory of politics. And the reality is you are going to get a more principled Republican majority in Congress with a, with a majority of 15 to 20 than you were going to get with 40 to 50, all right? Because the amount of people that they could go back behind the scenes in the cloakroom and move around the chessboard to take shitty votes, okay, they can't do that now. They don't have the numbers to do that now. Everybody's going to pretend to be a Barry Goldwater pretty much now. You're going to get more out of a Republican Senate as well. There's not, a, a, it's, it, you're all, you, you were never going to have Mitt Romney, for example, but now a Tim Scott can't hide. OK, Tim Scott's got to be a South Carolina senator now because they're not going to they may end up with 52, I think, but they're not going to get 55 or 56 like I thought they could have gotten and maybe should have in this environment. And so because of that, there's not as many pieces for the McCarthy's provided he's even the speaker. And I know we'll even we'll talk about that uh, or the McConnell's. They don't have as many pieces to move around. And so at this next year at this time, you actually might be more pleased with the results you will see than you would have seen if we had gotten the margins that we should have seen. But that brings me to the other point of why I'm disappointed. In this environment, and how obvious the spirit of the age has been, the Democrats have literally become a demonic construct. I had so many people bombard my mentions, so many of their bots. I had Mediaite and all kinds of their people writing articles about me the last couple weeks because I'm talking about them being a demonic entity. They're running on a demonic agenda out in the open. Well, Well, then... On one hand, I'm way too far for calling them a demonic construct. On the other hand, we're all sitting around here, and even they are acknowledging that they're going to sort of survive this election that they should have been annihilated in because a bunch of single women want to be able to uh, just kill their children. I mean, that's just demonic. That went, that, by the way, that was the closing pitch of their campaign for the last month was that issue. All right. They pivoted off of January 6th, and they went to kill your kids and vote for us. I mean, that's about as demonic, that's about as, demonic as it gets. And so this is out in the open. This is Satan is now in red unitard and pitchfork. We're not hiding it. The, the articles that you used to write years ago and shows I used to do years ago about here's what they really mean and here's what they'll really do if we let them get away with it in the future. They're doing all that now and they're saying all that now out in the open. All right. And so this this was the most clarifying election of my lifetime. There was no one. Every every American went on the record. No one had an excuse. You couldn't make Donald Trump your excuse. Yeah, I know the other guys got dementia. We'll probably wreck the country, but no more mean tweet. No, 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 no excuses. It's mano y mano, straight up. Do you like the direction and agenda the people in power are prosecuting the country with? Period. And what you saw in states where we thought we were more competitive, and we and we had we thought we had seen an, an uprising, and instead. We didn't see an expansion of our base. We saw a deepening of our resolve. That's Minnesota, Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, which has been the white whale of the Republican Party going back to when you and I were kids. They've been trying to crack that coat. Okay, what you saw is in the in, in the election when it was the most transparent with the with, what the Democratic Party wanted to do, what it has done to America and plans to do in the future. Those states 
affirmed it. And that's what crushed me. I grew up in Michigan. I'm heading there this weekend for the, the, the Michigan football game with my family. I've got a lot of friends and family there. I love the place. That's on a personal moral level. It crushed me to see places that we thought were these swing places because Trump rolled snake eyes once in 2016 and won them. And then when it with him off the board, no more excuses, no more mean tweets, um, just straight up, do you approve of this agenda? These places resoundingly said yes. And that broke my heart, frankly. But but speaking of Michigan, I want to talk about that because, again, that's what I, I can't wrap my arms around. So Pennsylvania, you could say you had the Wizard of Oz, who was a horrible fit. And then Mastriano wasn't a great campaigner to begin with. And then they sandbagged him. Literally, you know, it was like two two against one in a ring there. So that's why now the Pennsylvania House, I haven't checked less, but it's teetering in the balance. But you go to Michigan and, you know, everyone was kind of united behind Tudor Dixon. Everyone kind of said she was a great candidate. Maybe was was outgunned in terms of campaign cash. But, you know, very appealing candidate. And they they're at a point there. Where well, they, you, they the flip both Michigan, chambers, there's, they there's flip. Back, bo- there, yeah. there's background in Michigan. You 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 need to know though. It, the Michigan Republican Party and conservative grassroots. I'm on the board of a group called Stand Up Michigan that is trying to rebuild this. Since since 2010, and it really started with is it Ron and McDaniel McRomney, whoever that is that runs yep. the RNC. It's her group that did this when they were in Michigan. They ruined the the, the Republican base. And the conservative grassroots in that state has been ruined for a decade plus. The Tea Party people took over uh, the Republican Party in post-2010. The Rona and her people went scorched earth. They salted the earth to get rid of them. Every every Soviet tactic you could imagine uh, to get rid of and banish them. And so those people kind of became your your more Alex Jones, Donald Trump wing, if you know what I mean. Okay. (laughs) less trusting, more, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and so, and then what happened, and then you still had kind of your mainstream, hardcore, conservative grassroots, Ted Cruz types that were like, yeah, we stood with you and what they did with you was wrong, but we still need to win and, and unite behind Rick Snyder. That other group said, F that we're not doing that. And, 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 and if Rick Snyder had been a good governor, then, then those groups would have all come together and said, okay, we got to set, like I, like you and I did with our skepticism about Trump, and then he gets elected. He was a pretty good president. You and I are like, well, do we support the stuff we support or not? Right? You know what I'm saying? So when he does, when he's doing it, when he's doing our stuff, remember that very first weekend he was president, he went right after the immigration issue, and you and I were like, well, we didn't anticipate this. So yep. let's get in the fight, right? If Snyder had been a good governor, then 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 I don't think Gretchen Whitmer would have ever been governor. He was an awful governor. All right, like like John McCain's stepchild of a governor. Awful. Every Republican stereotype that both Democrats and conservatives hate about Republicans is what he was. And that drove those divisions even mm. further. And so what's happened now is, you know, like I spoke, in, I spoke to in, in, at Hillsdale this summer. The GOP uh, in that county is taken over by people like you, that love people like you and, I, you and me. They went scorched earth to get them out of there. All right. And so Tudor Dixon comes in. She's a great candidate. She's actually from the uh, from the Trump wing of the party. She was on that Real America's Voice, that kind of Trump news outlet. The problem is she got endorsed by the DeVos family. Now, 
The DeVos family is the longtime patriarchs of Christian conservatism in Michigan. Uh, Amway, they were one of the original donors that helped create the funding mechanism for the Reagan revolution. These are OG Christian conservative, hardcore Christian conservatives, but they were part of the group that in the end said, we have to get behind Snyder and go with him. And, and so because Trump didn't endorse, endorse her first, it took her quite a while. I would say probably not until even well into September before she had actually come close to uniting the Republican base in that state. So remember, she won that nomination basically in two weeks. She was a nothing. She was in the single digits, came out of nowhere. She got the DeVos endorsement and then Trump a couple weeks after that won. And so she won this thing kind of on a lark. Then she then she's got to spend the next month and a half uniting her base. By that point in time, Tudor told me she had already been outspent 23 to one on television in the state. Yeah. So this is a very broken state, very broken. And the conservative grassroots and the Republican Party have been at odds there for well over a decade. And the Republican Party has done very little to try to alleviate any of those divisions or concerns. And so she was running up against that riptide. And I think we just have to point that context out. I'm really glad you had an opportunity to give that full thought process over on one state because it's true in many states. That's Michigan's unique uh, circumstance. But this is why I have been saying quality over quantity. I'd rather a smaller tent that's intrepid than a large tent full of what you just described, which collapses on you and you get no tent whatsoever because mm-hmm. what you're describing, we're, we're, we're all like, what the heck, you know, 2010, 2014, we had all these like trifectas. They almost had super majorities in some of these like even swing states. I mean, it was really strong in the high watermark period there, but it really wasn't because there were a bunch of Rick Snyder losers and not only didn't they fortify the state and get rid of this stupid early voting and this voting anomaly and same-day registration, they actually encouraged it and went along with it. They yeah, a lot, of, a lot of Snyder yeah. and Engler Republicans endorsed Gretchen Whitmer, and they did it in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is the most Republican, you know, West Michigan, where I grew up, that's the most Republican part of the state. Yeah, Yeah. so you, so you, cre- you create a Trojan horse against yourself, the machinery of the party and the state, rather than DeSantis, uses it for us. It gets turned on us. Same thing happened in Kansas, by the way. That's the one anomaly that didn't follow the Cook PVI. Like, this was literally a Cook PVI election down the line. You know, that that, that was the biggest determinant of, of you know, where, where the election would, would result. Kansas, the Democrat, we always felt, oh, that's just an anomaly. This year we'll get rid of her. But you had, you know, a stupid candidate to begin with. The Republican Party's messed up there. But you had all these Republican governors, former governors, running ads for for Laura, for the Democrat, and dumping on us. So we I mean, dude, become this marginalized. This was in Oklahoma. Yeah, I, I don't know. How, I got a bunch of questions from people. Are you looking at the polls in Oklahoma? You guys aren't talking about it. Are we going to lose there? Okay. Now I know you're no huge Kevin Stitt fan, and I get it. Okay, but. What happened in Oklahoma is a guy that I used to know very well. I got to know him well in the New Gingrich campaign and, and admired. J.C. Watts, the former congressman there, and they and Hoffmeister, the former Republican, I think, legislator, I believe, or attorney general, I can't remember. They flipped, and, and Hoffmeister ran, ran as a Democrat, and, and J.C. Watts endorsed her, and they brought in a bunch of dark money from the Indian tribes to essentially try to wipe out Republicans uh, statewide. 
I don't know. I've not I've not talked to JC in several years, so I, I don't know what the motivation and everything was. But this is the kind of skullduggery, though, that you're talking about. Like we were hoping that there was like this quiet one or two or three percent of Cuomo vote that hates Kathy Hockle in New York that would just vote for Lee Zeldin out of spite. OK, didn't happen. All right. They don't but, have that. No, yeah, they don't have. But we have to actually fight a two front war. Almost all of the time. Almost all the time. And this is the point I just made on Glenn's show, that this is why, rather than talking about the next R versus D fight, election, presidential election, now is a perfect time for introspection that we either need to lead the party or get a new one. Because to me, DeSantis is the antithesis. Florida, you would have put historically in that same kind of Pennsylvania you know, Michigan, yeah. Wisconsin, it's the most line. notorious swing state in the yeah. country. The yeah. last two generations of presidential elections there have been decided by an average of less than three points. Okay, but the difference is that our other guys. The problem is even when we do get a conservative, the problem is when you don't have unity, the guy winds up being forced to look like a lunatic. Because we're always like, that guy's a rhino. Burn it down, burn it down, burn it down. Because we, we have to dislodge them. Whereas DeSantis wound up becoming the man. And a governor is easier than a senator. He establishes his own bona fides there. And then what he was able to do, which was very interesting, is govern. He was actually able to govern. So along with being a culture warrior, he was able to rebuild a causeway Correct. destroyed in a hurricane in three days. He was yep. able to have effective, efficient elections. He's able to make the trades go on time. And people are like, wow, I like that. So then it puts a very different perspective on everything else you're saying and doing. And, and like, for example, this is what's bothering me with the abortion issue. See, if, if the party would be in, united in my image, it would have been my body, my choice for two and a half years on, on the biomedical tyranny and the injections. It would have been pedaled to the metal for real privacy, the right to privacy, very popular issue, especially with young voters, everything the government is doing and spying on us. And then you say, look, abortion's not privacy. You're killing a life. But the Republican Party sucks on those issues. They don't fortify themselves on that. And then, you know, bizarrely, this is the one issue. They're pedaled to the metal on that. So I think, you know, you have a very, very uneven outcome. And a lot of people are scared they're going to get rid of it, even in rape and incest and things like that. And they got crushed in Michigan. So I want to get your take on that. And also, why even in Montana and Kentucky, where you have a pretty, you know, it wasn't like, okay, we're getting rid of abortion in the case, case of rape and incest. These are red states. Generally, we're winning. None of the governors that completely banned it got defeated. They didn't even lose out. They, they won with high margins in all the red states. But those ballot initiatives that just say, hey, you know, you got to sustain a baby that's born despite an abortion. Um, or just in the case of Kentucky to clarify that there's no right to an abortion enshrined in the Constitution, they narrowly lost. What's up with that? So I'm glad you asked me about this because, you know, your audience is a lot of them are, you know, also are familiar with my work and they're going to be familiar with my story. And they know how beyond just my own Christian conviction, how deeply personal the life issue is to me and my family. Right. And so 
with that in mind, and I, and I have done more speeches around the country, more shows on the life issue, more articles on the life issue throughout the course of my career than any other singular issue. That being said, I found out in July about this Proposition 3 in Michigan when the head of Michigan Right to Life called me out of the blue asking for help about this proposition that had made it onto the ballot, and they, there was virtually no money at all uh, to try to take it out. That's how I found out about it. I mean, I, I think I'm pretty well informed. You know, I've got a fairly, you know, uh, my, God gave me quite a prodigious memory and ability to recall. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know there were these bills in Kentucky and Montana until election night. I read the Montana bill yesterday when Jesse Kelly uh, sent out the language. Talk about convoluted as hell. Okay. All negatives. Yes. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I'm, am I voting against or for it? I don't even know. Okay. Um, I mean, I did a speaking engagement in Montana this spring or this summer, and it was during Pride Month, and it was uh, uh, it was in the capital city, and they did a there was a Pride rally uh, on a, on the Saturday morning before I spoke, and it was literally like twenty people walking around the block. Okay, so <laughs> this is a state where this ought to pass. All right, so I I hear you. I I think that a lot of this was a lack of funding, a lack of organization, uh, uh, and and a lack of messaging. Just didn't get the message out. One of the things I've heard my entire career when I have um, railed against the Republican Party, well, look at the platform, look at the grassroots. Our people need to understand how politics works. And to quote another famous Texan, since you just mentioned Chip Roy, Lyndon Johnson, power is where power goes. We spent years and years and years fighting for what looked like, you know, uh, a, a modern political manifestation of the Mosaic Covenant called a party platform. They just didn't show up to platform meetings and just went to the rules committee and determined who got to run and where the money went. All right. Power is where power goes. And so you can have this massive look at it like a, like a church. That church can be very faithful and true to the word. They come in one day and find out that the pastor has been hitting it with the organist behind his wife's back this entire time. That church is going to fracture. Because people are going to choose sides based on what they what their view is of that leader is is the leader a big enough star that we want to keep things together don't rock the boat do we have to take a stand which is in and 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 throw him out it'll fracture because the leadership is bad on the on the on all the bottom level floors of enron of the enron building daniel where a lot of people live in and work in, and live in paycheck to paycheck they had no idea what the hell was going on on those top floors they didn't know they're just cashing a check man they're delivering mail they're cleaning the toilets they're filing claims they're, 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 you know, uh, signing off on forms and widgets, just trying to make sure they got health insurance for their babies. Okay. They tune in the news. We're in that one night and find out the people on the top floor are utter freaking crooks. And now they're all out of a job. All right. The creation runs on headship. God is a God of order. All right. The children don't decide the direction of the family. And if they do, then you don't have one. The parents do order hierarchy, headship. For too long, we have we have made up a predominant amount of the grassroots and almost none of the actual leadership. All right. And, and that has to that paradigm has to change. We can have as many principled backbenchers as we want. They're not the ones pushing an agenda or determining what the messages is messaging is or what the what the issues we're going to even be talking about are. And so here we have with Chip from 
really what is the headquarters of red state America, essentially Texas, although Florida you know, is, wants to be heard from now. He got more votes than anybody else in their congressional delegation did. Um, he has proven himself. He understands the machine. He's not an ideologue purely. I think that's important. He understands the vocational machinery of politics. He worked for both Texas's senators as an aide, as a chief of staff. He understands, you know, how the process actually works. It's not just you go up there and give a speech and everybody's like, yeah, I thought that was the better speech, so I'll vote that way. It's not like that, okay? So he gets the nuts and bolts of politics, and then he also has our fearless convictions at the exact same time, meaning that he can do the actual job. We have an opportunity now to, uh, to, to put someone in that speaker's position, third in line to the presidency, one of the most powerful positions on planet Earth that shares our values and has proven he fearlessly gives zero Fs, even at times. You know, I'm you know, there there have been times where you and I have not always agreed with him on a few things. And it is and, and he does not buckle. And so, you know where he stands. And I've never met uh, I've never met a finer man to, that has run and won political office. I tried to discourage him from running when he wanted to a few years ago because he's already had cancer. I didn't think he could do any good. It put too much strain on his family for too little return. Um, thankfully, and for the people of his district, he didn't listen to me, ran, and has just been a hell of a congressman. And now I think we have a rare opportunity to put somebody in there who doesn't care about a lot of the BS that you and I just discussed and just wants to save the country. And Steve, I totally agree with your point on on Chip being a straight shooter. You know, one of the things people forget, a lot of our audiences disagreed with him that and were upset with Chip that he didn't believe the election was stolen, but you know, you have to look at it from his perspective. In suburban San Antonio, Austin, he was overperforming Trump. I mean, despite it being a swing district, Wendy Davis outspent him by who knows what. He overperformed. A lot of people in similar districts went down. Um, and he did better than Trump. Now, I think, you know, the Rust Belt was a little different story, but, you know, he had this broad appeal where people respected his sincerity. He's a, he's as clean as you're going to get. I mean, right? <laughs> you're not going to find anything on him, right. you know, like we do I mean, with a lot spent, of these he, other he speakers. The, and Yeah. He has spent the next two years, trust me, I've heard plenty from Chip. He has spent the next two years having this conversation with his constituents about that election. All right. So he hasn't run away, hid from them at all. He's listened to their concerns. And here's the thing I do know. Pretty much anything short of internment camps that you want done to fortify our elections constitutionally and righteously and legally, he would be for. And that's really the most important thing more than anything else is whatever you think transpired in 2020. And I absolutely yep. believe they fortified the hell out of it. Whatever you think happened in 2020, he would give you whatever would be necessary for that to never no, happen absolutely. again, period. And I think that is what we need to focus on. You know, we complain someone's willing to put his name out. Maybe if we can drag him out, let's go do it. One final thought, Generation Z, everyone's talking about that. This is the future. No matter what, red, yeah. blue, purple, whatever state you're in, you're going to have kids. Um, there's a lot of talk that Gen Z is different than any other generation. I mean, they said that about people, I think, my age, 35 to 45, but the exit polls show that, like in every other generation, as they get older, they are becoming more conservative. Um, but then you look at this generation, what scared me 
is that th- there's an exit poll data point that really stuck out at me no one's talking about. Maybe it's not a big deal, but to me it is. 7% identified as the Rainbow Jihad sexual alphabet soup. Okay, 7%. Now, if it yeah. th- that in itself shocked me, but if you take 7% um, globally, I mean, or, or across all demographics, I didn't see a breakout, but you've got to believe that under 30 that thing's going to be easily in double digits, which just shocks the consciousness. Is there hope? I mean, what are we going to do with an entire generation that's basically like, you know, the Klaus Schwab's dream transhumanist uh, quasi-robotic bot? Um, how do you get through to that? The average 25-year-old male in America is more likely to be living at home with a parent than in a home with a wife and a kid. We have the lowest birth and marriage rates we have had on record as a society since we started keeping these stats in the late 19th century. Cohabitation is at an all-time high. Youth ministries, before we even got to Gen Z, youth ministries from Gen X to Millennial on in America, even if you grew up in a good family and went to church, had already given themselves over to, we're not going to disciple and catechize people anymore. We're just going to entertain the kids. We're basically going to run daycare centers with Bible verses. And so do that for do that for a generation. And what do you think happens to the kids of those kids that we're describing? Okay. This is, this is to quote the former president's pastor, chickens coming home to roost. Ah, this is, this is what happens starting from boomers on down. When you decide, you know what, we've got jobs, companies to run, lives to lead. You guys go ahead and take over the universities, K through 12 education, and pop culture. You know, only the three most influential sectors in worldview forming, worldview uh, building, and culture terraforming in 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 a nation. You guys have those. We're going to live our lives out here in the burbs. Well, sooner or later, brother, Uncle Bingo is going to have make you pay the check. Sooner or later, brother, that harvest is going to come due. And that harvest is coming due now. And this is not going to be, and here's why what I just said is all these cultural trends I just said, the traditional notion of as we get older and more responsible, have kids, right? You see this in the Hispanic vote in this election, boomer Hispanics, you know, they're still waving Mexican flags at World Cup matches, okay? Gen X Hispanics, millennial Hispanics, the ones who are, have teenage kids, the Gen Xers or college kids or small kids, millennials, okay? They're the ones that we were able to flip in this election because they're looking at this and saying, I don't give a poop about Mexico. I'm an American and we got to do something about this, all right? But that traditional generational transition of, all right, I hit this benchmark in life, this mile marker on, you know, on the highway of life, and it's not just about me anymore. Well, what if you bypass wow. all the things that would lead to those mile markers? Marriage, family, kids, a job, I'm a subsidy, okay? Uh, or I can just Zoom, don't even have to go to work. I mean, we're having a—Elon <laughs> Musk may have to deal with resignations. Forget the layoffs he did last week. He might have mass resignations <laughs> telling people they've got to come up to work now at the office, okay? I mean, you're dealing now—this is, this, is this is the downhill of the cultural rot-gut dunghill— this is the this is now where it begins to curve the other way. And and if they just decide generationally, and right now it looks like they are, that they're just not even going to participate in the normal uh, rites of passage that would cause you to consider, a, a, you know, a truth larger than your desires and a world bigger than, you know, uh, Tiger King on Netflix. If they just choose they're going to not participate in those things, then there's nothing you can do. 
nothing you can do. And you're and that's where you're in revival and, or and that's, bust territory. That's yet another factor when you contrast to twenty ten. We didn't have that. And always the, the youngest cohort was the most democratic, but again, the margins do matter. The margins sure. matter. And what you're describing yeah. as a generation that, yeah, I mean, you could have people throwing people on subway tracks left and right every day. You could have inflation 20%. They're impervious. I mean, you know, this is the mask-wearing Zoom uh, transhumanist generation. And even before Klaus Schwab and his ilk and, and Albert Borla find a way to hack into our brains, they've already hacked in externally without having to do it internally. I had a conversation. I had a conversation with uh, with the publisher of our upcoming book, The Fourth Reich, the head of our publishing company, Anthony Zaccardi. Him and I talked yesterday um, about our book, actually, and, and what he's planning to do. I just forgot to remind to, to we'll do it here. <laughs> pass on to you what he told me. So remind me to tell you that later. OK, uh, but uh, um, we got into what he saw in New York. He goes, I'm just telling you, you know, I've got corporate offices in Nashville and in New York City, you know, and when I'm here in New York City, it's like there's not a recession. The, the these Gen Zers are the the clubs are full in Manhattan every night. The restaurants are full every night. You know, um, where's the they're, money? They're from? living a different life than the rest of us are. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great question. I just don't it? get it. I mean, it's yeah. all funny money, and that's what's keeping this alive. So maybe crash and burn might create that revival. But I agree, it's this. Well, now they're going to get their student loan debt forgiven, so they won't yeah, have to pay that debt take longer than we thought. Spiritual revival, I mean, that's what it is, and part of making red states red again is making your own family red. It's not always your fault, you know. Uh, kids mm -hmm. don't die based on the sins of the parents, but, you know, you could have your influence, and I think all too often, too many of our people want to be judicious, fair-minded. I mean, to me, there is no, it's like, hey, you know, there's, there's, there's liberals at the bottom of the garbage can, you know, maggots, a.k.a. Um, that's how we speak. I mean, there is no even-handedness. Uh, I steer exactly the family the way it should be, and that's what Republican governors need to be doing to their states like DeSantis is doing. It's all about fortifying our own beliefs, our own homes, our own states the way the left has done. You can't win a swing state if you don't have a solid state like they have. And uh, St Steve is always great insights. Rise of the Fourth Reich, my partner in crime with that will come out soon um if you like what you heard today this is why you have to be a blaze subscriber you get so much extra you get steve's extra hour there as well um steve i guess we'll do it again wednesday this time the shoe on the other foot you got it brother as always thank you very much appreciate everybody tuning in so again that was very unique analysis that only steve days could give He's definitely a better political analysis than prognosticator, but who would have known? I mean, I think it's all of it. It's the money, the asymmetry between the money. It's Gen Z is just impervious to just basic facts that if things are going terrible, the incumbent party lose, loses. Well, that's different when you have a bunch of Klaus Schwab, Bill Gates bots. That's essentially what our youth have become. And obviously the decadence and all that. I mean, you strip out some of those factors, the Democrat fortification with their election anomalies. Yeah, I mean, you strip that away. It kind of does follow the 2010 election. I, I, I think the truth lies somewhere in what we said, um, how that pie graph would look in terms of percentages of what caused what and how much, who knows. But the path forward, we know. Red, make red states redder, make our families redder. 
keep our resolve in the areas where there still are a majority of people who who you know it resonates. And again, the Republicans did take back the House. What are we going to do with it? Chip Roy for Speaker. That is what needs to happen. And by the way, one other thing I think that's important too. Uh, Chris Rufo put this out on Twitter. Even in Minnesota, now I don't know exactly where this was, but conservatives dominated on school board elections. Conservative activists won 49 seats in 15 of 19 targeted districts. So kudos to those working on the school board elections. I mean, that does matter. In the past, we had this dynamic that even in an 80-20 red county, the people on the school board were the 20, were the idiots. And, and that's true of everything. That is starting to change. Uh, we saw that in Florida as well, where the governor led, um, this is from Politico, uh, all six school board members endorsed by Governor DeSantis won their runoffs Tuesday. Uh, results that deliver the Republican governor a total of 24 wins out of 30 local education candidates he backed. Um, and and this is even in some big, big cities. And, and kudos to the 1776 Project. Uh, Ryan Gurdowski and the folks there are doing great work. So this is where it's at. I mean, this is where the money needs to be spent. And... It's also another point here that remember remember when you had um think that this is a very profound point. You had all these Republican governors that were like, okay, well, I'm not gonna do a statewide mask or lockdown, but the localities and the school boards, they could do whatever they want. Like, no. Not only are you gonna ban it, but you're gonna lead a revolution culturally in your state to take sides and start creating slates of county candidates and state legislatures and things like that. That's what that's another thing DeSantis did. And and I'm just thinking, you know, he did battle with the blue localities and people are like, I don't know, I don't feel comfortable with that being very heavy handed there. I'm for localism. I don't like that. You're going to turn people off. You know, the irony, he won all the blue areas. <laughs> He won Tampa. He won, won Jacksonville. I mean, even like Alachua, he got 42%. Even Broward, he got 42%. Orange County got 46%. Tallahassee itself, which was like the armpit of the state, that's where the government workers are, he got 42%, like a, a massive swing, almost a 20-point swing from his last election. That's how it's done. Look at the blueprint of what Democrats did in blue states and then in the swing states at least do that in the red states, but it's going to take leadership. We cannot have a diluted and conflicting message. And as Steve said, backbenchers aren't enough. You need leadership. I don't know what's going to happen here. You know, because the question is, do we have the votes? Here's what I do know. Because they didn't have a massive majority, see, it takes 218 seats to, to win. You need a majority. So... You only need technically, uh, we don't know the exact number yet, but let's say eight seats to deny him the 218. You get eight conservatives to say Kevin McCarthy is unacceptable. So maybe you don't wind up with Chip Roy because maybe the rhinos will say, well, we won't vote for him. But you put him out there and maybe you get a compromise. But it's not going to happen if you don't have a candidate that you rally behind. That was always the problem we had. I'll elaborate more on this tomorrow. Let me know your comments, questions, concerns. Send it to Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.